Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by the new podcast, Anomaly. Vanessa, one of my favorite YouTube holes to go down is like role-play fantasy tabletop multiplayer games where I don't really know any of the people playing, but I love watching them have an adventure. Well, Casper, then you would love Anomaly. It's a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land once vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. I am genuinely going to download this right now. This sounds amazing. (laughs) This podcast combines traits of a great dungeon master and those of a talented meditation guide, weaving tales of fantasy that stretch the imagination while you learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, and relieve stress. This is available now on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. It's Anomaly, spelled with an I-E at the end and not a Y. Go to S-E-E-K-A-N-O-M-A-L-I-E dot com. That's SeekAnomaly dot com to find out more. Chapter 27 Padfoot returns. One of the best things about the aftermath of the second task was that everybody was very keen to hear details of what had happened down in the lake, which meant that for once, Ron was getting to share Harry's limelight. I'm Casper Turkile. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Everybody, before we jump into today's episode, we have a few announcements. One is... If you review us on iTunes, we will give you a shout out on the episode. These iTunes reviews really help new people find us. And some of you have written them and we're just so grateful and we're going to continue to shout you out as you do. Today's Patreon perk is we are inspired by Severus Snape, not a sentence I say a lot. And I am going to tip some veridiserum in the tea of my two dear co-hosts here and hear what it is that they would not want to share at 15. (laughs) And then lastly, we just want to remind you about summer camp. It's coming up. You can find out more about that at NotSorryWorks.com. Casper Turkile, guest, love of my life. Do you have an announcement before we jump into your story? I do. 
Vanessa, is there something you want to let go of in your life? Yes. Maybe something that you're ready to release. In which case, I invite you to join the next journey of The Nearness, which is all about the theme of letting go. The Nearness is a dedicated space to help you make meaning of your life together with other people exploring life's big questions. We'll have weekly small groups that gather online. There's a process to create your own ritual of release. And we'll be exploring very spiritual texts to inform that process. So the next eight-week journey starts on April 24th. Signups close at midnight on Sunday, April 16th. The cost is $199, but come to the website and you'll find a discount code. More than 300 people have been part of the Nearness so far, and they're absolutely loving it. So I hope that you'll start your journey soon at thenearness.coop. Casper, we're so excited to have you with us to talk about our theme this week, which is legacy. Can you tell us about the legacy that you will be leaving us with your story? Well, Matt, as longtime listeners of the pod know, I was very lucky enough to receive, just before my wedding day, a beautiful family tree combining the families of my husband and mine with these very richly calligraphied letters, and it hangs above our bed. And it's something that I really treasure because as a kid, whenever I brushed my teeth, I would look next to the mirror and there was my family tree as a child. And so I've always had this beautiful just experience of feeling like I, I know where I come from, even if it's only on a picture. And I just love studying the names like Leopold and Wilhelm and, you know, just imagining myself in a <laughs> top hat and being part of that world. But now that I'm in my mid thirties and, you know, a whole generation of friends first started getting married and many of them bought a house and now a lot of them have children or are having children. So, of course, I've been thinking about that, too. And Vanessa and I have talked ad nauseum about our own kids and what if and maybe and how and should we start our own family of Vanessa and Caspers. And when I first started thinking about kids, I was really very set on, like, having my own flesh and blood. And, like, after a while, I was like, why? Like, why is it so important that my DNA is passed on? Like, what's in that legacy that's so important to me? And I kind of interrogated it a little bit, and I realized, like, it's not my chromosomes that I want to pass on, but I do have things that are are really treasured, like the songs that I grew up with and the stories and the family jokes and a sort of way of seeing the world that that I would love to pass on. But now, as it looks less and less likely that, you know, I, I have kids of my own and there's still time, so we'll see, I've thought about how those stories and songs and way of looking at the world can still be passed on even if it's not through a parent and child relationship, but maybe more in a dispersed way. And I absolutely understand that that is not the same thing, right? It can it can never compare. But there is still a way of feeling like, you know, in a small way that I, I can have a legacy that goes beyond my own life. And so I'm just really interested in thinking about the kind of intensity or the spread outness of legacy and do they both count? Are they so different that we shouldn't use the same word to describe both of those things? And so that's what I want to spend some time with as we explore this chapter. Thanks, Casper. That's a great story. And the, what it makes you really think about is sort of like how one of the things about legacy is that we have to let go of it, like someone else is going to control it, mm-hmm. right? Like whether it's our own children or our own family members, or if it's you know, other people that we share our stories with, right, and who carry those things forward, like that legacy is something that we have to really give over control of. Mm. And that's a for a person who likes control. I don't know if anybody knows anybody like that. Mm. That can be an uncomfortable thing, right? And I think maybe one of the reasons folks do think of their 
biological children as primary legacies because they think they have more control of it. Yeah. But actually, you don't there in that case either because every child is a free and independent human being or ought to be and and can do with your legacy what they will. That That's so true. And like, if you inherit something, you can reject it. I mean, Sirius yep. is such a good example of that, of saying no to a legacy that he's given. So really, maybe my whole story is the wrong way around because it's less about like passing something on and it's more about like, what do you choose as your legacy to inherit? Like, that's how we think about legacy, less yeah. about what you want to pass on. Yeah. As you know, we like to visit Etymology Corner here on the Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast. And the word legacy comes from the Latin. The word lex means law. And this, the variant legacy comes from the word for like an ambassador mm. or a diplomat, a person who would represent you to others when you could not be present to represent yourself. And there is that sense of like, I have given control of my representation to someone else. And when you think about that temporally, across time, when I'm going to be absent, not because I'm sending my diplomat far away, but I'm going to be absent because I'm long gone. And my descendants, perhaps, are the ones, as you suggest, who are carrying Mm. me forward. They represent me in a way, and you don't have control over that. And that's part of the both the gift and also the anxiety of it. Huh. I like Etymology Corner. That's cool. Well, thanks, Casper. I can't wait to talk more about legacy and this chapter. But first, we have the important legacy to upkeep of the 30-second recap. I know you are an old veteran <laughs> of the 30-second recap competition. <laughs> and Vanessa, you're going to go first for us this week. Is that right? Yeah. I have the legacy to uphold of being the best at them. Of being the best. Yeah, that's right. Can I count you in? Please. <laughs> okay, here we go. Three, two, one, go. So Ron is lying about what happened underwater, and he was actually a hero until Hermione makes fun of him. They go down to potions, and Rita Skeeter has written an article, and she's like, um, Harry Potter is heartbroken by Hermione Granger, who's now upgrading to Victor Crumb. And Hermione is like, oh, my God, how did she know that Victor wanted to invite me to Bulgaria? And Ron is like, Victor wanted to do what? And then they go and they visit Sirius in Hogsmeade. And he hasn't been eating. He's been living as a dog. He gives them all these updates about Barty Crouch Jr. and Barty Crouch. I'm so glad there are three of us today. (laughs) (laughs) Because that. I, I thought that was championship level. I think you forget the the qualities of your competitors. <laughs> I, I love both of my competitors so much. I think that they are flawless human beings. Casper, you're a guest. Do you want to go second or bring us home? I'll bring us home. I'm okay. suddenly remembering right. how hard this is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Matt, on your mark. Get set. Go. So uh, Ron is boasting and Hermione is like, stop boasting. And then they go to potions and Pansy Parkinson throws in the article. And Hermione is is strangely unconcerned. And then Snape is a jerk. Uh, and then Karkaroff comes in and something happens because Harry spills the bile on purpose. And then they go and then they, they hear about um, the uh, Padfoot and they go meet Padfoot. And then they, they and Padfoot talks for a long time and explains a lot of specific things about Barty Crouch. And then they also give him some food and his name snuffles now and they go back to... That was a 10 out of 10. What? No. That was very good. That was very good. No. It's been a pleasure to watch you grow into this man before us. Okay. Casper, my love. Yes. I'm going to do it in British for you. Ready? Okay, great. Steady. Go. 
There's a new restaurant critic in town and his name is Snuffles. He likes to get yesterday's newspapers to find the hot place to eat. And anything you bring him gets a 10 out of 10 star review. Today on the menu, Buckbeak. Because he says, if Buddy Crouch is actually ill, I'll eat my own pet. So uh, that's what's going on with Sirius. Harry, meanwhile, is really building up the skills of subtlety, uh, throwing bile on the floor so he can overhear Snape talking to Cockroft, who's really insisting that he's something's on his arm. <laughs> Started strong, <laughs> fell by the wayside. You always sure. do that. You stop your commitment to the bit. You got to stay committed to the bit. Got to stay committed. I think it's, it's fun, though. People are, not gonna, hey, people are not going to remember the last 10 seconds. They're going to yeah, remember the, the excellent first 20. No, I don't know. I feel like your legacy is that last 10 seconds. <laughs> So, Casper, I really loved your point about Sirius, and I think that that might be a good place to start about legacy, that Sirius has spent so much of his life rejecting the legacy of his family. And his family has rejected him, too, right? We'll see in the next book how his name has been sort of scorched off of the walls at Grimmauld Place. And he is the opposite of a Death Eater, right? He was raised to be this wizard supremacist, and he's really committed himself to not be. And yet, he hasn't totally been able to forego that legacy, right? He, as we know later, is horrible to creature. And even, you know, there's his famous quote in this chapter that what really matters is how you treat your inferiors, which demonstrates that he believes that there are inferiors. And so it's interesting how you can commit yourself to not living up to a legacy, and yet it's so hard to get out of these family dynamics and the ways that you were raised. I think that there's something really wise in the way that Rowling actually is writing Sirius in this moment. Yeah, I'm just not sure I totally buy your premise. I, 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 I think your inferiors can mean like in, in terms of the role rather than someone's worth. At least I hear that in a sort of rank system of like, seniority rather than like it's immediately assuming you're better than someone so i'll take it on literary analysis grounds but i'm not i'm not sure that i see that meaning in the text itself i think what's much more revealing is that like you can hold a value and absolutely not practice it in your own life because you're so wrapped up in well i don't know maybe i do end up agreeing with you because like he does think he's better than creature a hundred percent and he'll, I mean, but he also thinks he's better than like nearly everyone else around him. That's why he breaks all these rules. He's like, these rules don't apply to me because I am what? Special. And I understand that. Even if I also want to, <laughs> even if I also want to uphold the value of equality and treat everyone fairly, I'm like, well, this, you know, don't cross the road sign right now means other people, not me. So I, I, I feel like I empathize with Sirius a little here. I'm not saying I don't find this entirely human. I'm just saying that he thinks he's throwing off this legacy of a sense of superiority. And mm. he's not. He is throwing off the legacy of being a Death Eater. He is he has not fully rejected his family in the way that they raised him. I think that's probably right. And I, you know, the reason we're talking about all this is because Creature, who we find out in book five is the Black family house elf, is badly mistreated by Sirius for as long as Sirius is in that house and relating to Creature in any way. And there's like this textual evidence we have in the future books that Sirius does not live up to that, that value when it comes to his own house elf. 
And I actually agree with everything the two of you said. I have one like devil's advocate sort of possible different reading that I'd like to suggest just so we can talk about it, which Mm -hmm. is that Sirius is also, I mean, the legacy of the black family, this representative family of wizarding supremacy, like this old family. And he is representing them as a legacy for that family. He is contrary to all of it, which so you can understand why, like this isn't in this chapter, but in the next book and in future books, when we get to 12 Grimaud Place, every one of those portraits is just enraged at him, right? Because they have no control over how he is representing them, what Mm. values he is living up to. And he is very self-consciously, as you said, Vanessa, pushing back, resisting those values. Is there a way to read the repugnance that Sirius has for Creature as his repugnance for Creature's loyalty to all those portraits? And right, like, and it's, you know, you're right, Vanessa, this is why I don't actually believe this reading. I just want to kind of complicate the reading. I think that also folds into Sirius's lingering sense of superiority over a creature like Creature, right? But I think part of why he hates Creature so much in the next book, at least as I read it, is not just that lingering sense of superiority. It's also like he hates what his family represents so much and Creature remains so loyal to it. Yeah. That he can't express it any other way. It just, as you say, Casper, it just that line, for those of us who have read the full series and know how he treats Creature later, that line rings with so much kind of hollow irony Yeah. when he says, you know, it's about how you treat your inferiors, since we know how he's going to treat Creature later, and it's so cruel. And it's put in such direct contrast to literally what he responds to when Harry asks, what are you doing here? Because, of course, Sirius isn't supposed to be outside the school grounds. And he says, fulfilling my duty as godfather. So it's not like, I love you, I want to protect you, but he's framing it within that kind of loyalty, duty, honor, like this is the promise I made, I'm fulfilling it. Yeah. Like, And it, it I, I, I'm just suddenly seeing the connection between the way Creature would talk about fulfilling his duty mm. and Sirius choosing you know, this duty that he's fulfilling as, as Godfather. And so, I don't know, sometimes the thing we most despise about other people is the thing we struggle with in ourselves. And like, I'm now seeing this connection between Series and, and creature in, in book five in a in a whole new way, but I do think that you know to stick to book four for a moment, the way in which Sirius is is directly contrasted with this whole story about Death Eaters. Right, we see Karkaroff, we see Snape, but we also learn more about Crouch. We learn a whole lot about Death Eaters. I think this is the most exposition like Death Eatery history that we get okay. in the entire book. And so it does put Sirius in contrast to that as someone who really rejected it. And I don't know, I, I felt a lot of respect for Sirius in this moment of of interrupting that legacy and choosing a different source of meaning and connection in his life in, in a, you know, in a system where the expectations were very different. I think it's an apt, if not complete or sufficient metaphor for race, mm. right? Like as yeah. a white person, I can dedicate my whole life. I've not done this sufficiently, but I can dedicate my whole life to civil rights and I'll never not be white. Mm. And it really is troublesome when people sort of pretend like, oh, I've put in enough here that who I am and my identity and how I was born Hmm. is irrelevant now. And Sirius seems stuck in that where he's like, no, 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 no. I've sacrificed so much. And he has. He has gone Hmm. to prison for this movement. He has lost his best friends. He's going to die for it. 
And he still was born rich. And that doesn't make it okay. And it's just like these things don't have to be in opposition to each other. Mm. It doesn't take away from your sacrifices that you were born rich, but it is still relevant information. And I feel like Sirius is sort of trying to do this thing where he's like, no, 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 I'm nothing to do with the black family. Like, dude, but you are like, you just are. And that's not a bad thing. You couldn't control it. And you're doing everything you can. But the fact is that you are part of this family. You can't burn yourself off of a family tree. I mean, that's I guess that's the other part of legacy. Like we were thinking about legacy in your story, Casper, about like who is going to represent me later. And I don't have control over who that's going to be. It also goes backwards, right? Like I represent certain people in my past that I can't control, but I also can't give up the fact that I represent them in some way. I can resist it, but I can't pretend that that lineage is not mine as well. So the the lack of control works in two directions. I want to think more about the comment that he made because he makes it with respect to Winky. So the kind of context in the chapter, they're talking about mm. Barty Crouch Sr. And Sirius is telling Harry, Hermione, and Ron to not just give respect without criticism to, to Crouch because there are signs he might not be a good dude. And one of the signs is that he treats Winky poorly. I think these questions about legacy, who represents us, obviously come up in a figure like Crouch. Yeah. We learn some things about Barty Crouch Sr., about his sense of reputation. Like, what what does Barty Crouch really value? Is Barty Crouch Jr. actually a fitting legacy, even though in significant ways pursuing different values and, and evil ends? Well, th- this story really felt like legacy as cage, right? Because we have this amazing, quote, anything that tarnished his reputation had to yeah. go for Crouch Sr. And so, like, the expectations, the limitations, the pressure that you can put, you know, whether <laughs> whether it's your staff or your children under, like, it, and, and it's, I don't know, the, the other thing in the Crouch story that feels complicated is that it isn't, it's not intentionally chosen, like, ah, oh, these are the things I want to pass on. But it's this, like, very, is anxious the right word? Or, like, this was not a happy household to grow up in, in a very different way from the Blacks, where it was like, we are the purebloods. We are, you know, the pinnacle of society. It just feels like very stressful to be in that environment. And and that brings its own difficult outcomes. It is funny, some of the, like, evidence that Sirius puts forth for why Barty Crouch Jr. turned out this way. He's like... Barty Crouch Sr. probably should have left the office earlier if he didn't want his son to become <laughs> a mass murderer. I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure. But it is interesting what we break down as this legacy, right? I think that's right. But I, I'm going to, I'm gonna again, stand up a little bit for Sirius Black's interpretation here. Not like where I think that it was because Barty Crouch Sr. stayed at the office too late, and that's why Barty Crouch Jr. became a murderer and a death eater. But I I think there might be something about seeing Barty Crouch Jr. as a fitting, not necessarily like necessary, but a fitting legacy, perhaps, for Barty Crouch Sr. Like that, because that line, if it's true, if it's true, if Black's interpretation is true, that anything that tarnished Barty Crouch Sr.'s reputation had to go, Mm -hmm. then what we're, he's actually saying is the most important thing to Barty Crouch Sr. is Barty Crouch Sr. Right? And and that means that not, justice in the wizarding world, not equality for all creatures, right? Like Barty Crouch Sr. is number one. And that ideology maps on pretty neatly to Death Eater ideology, to Mm -hmm. wizarding supremacy, where we preserve ourselves, preservation of ourselves is the most important thing. And everybody else 
if they do not help preserve me, got to go. But, so there's a way in which, although obviously Barty Crouch Sr. is read by the public as a candidate for Minister of Magic and a public servant, like if privately all Barty Crouch Sr. cares about is Barty Crouch Sr., then it's not surprising that his legacy is another person who adopts this ideology of kind of tyrannical and violent self-preservation. And what I would add to that is like, there's the value and the priority, and then there's the ruthlessness with which it's executed. And I think we see that in the story with Winky, right? Like this immediate cutting off, like you have disobeyed, you've broken my trust, it's over. And that absolutely translates into into Barty Jr. as well. Yeah, that's really smart, man. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Ufi X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. So the last place that I think we have to talk about in terms of legacy is the Rita Skeeter story. Mm. So Rita Skeeter publishes a story in Witch Weekly that is, you know, just like really gossipy and... I love gossip, but this is the bad kind of gossip. She's wildly speculating. She's potentially, like, negatively influencing people's lives. She says that Harry has been heartbroken by Hermione. She says that Hermione is a scarlet woman, to use, you know, Ron's phrase. (laughs) And she also shares this really private information that Crumb has invited her to come to Bulgaria and and is like cast really casting aspersions on Hermione. And Ron is like, see, I told you, you shouldn't have upset Rita Skeeter because we knew that she was going to put this stuff in writing and this would be your legacy. Mm. And Hermione is like, I, this is not my legacy. I don't care. But Harry is just like, ugh, I'm tired of this crap being written about me. And I think that I think he probably agrees with Hermione that, like, this is not going to impact his legacy. And yet he's just gone through this so many times and his stress level is up to a point where, like, he's like, this is not funny anymore, cute anymore. Well, I also think there's something really important between Harry's lack of a private life, like that there isn't a life to go back to, that there is only his public persona in a way like that. There's just that exposure that 
humiliation in public, like that's kind of all he has. Uh, at, le- at least I can imagine at, at that point in his life, he doesn't feel like he has that retreat yeah. to go to. Like it's only it's only this. Do you really think Hermione doesn't care? Does she just have a higher tolerance for like BS? <laughs> or is or is she protecting herself here in front of her friends? She doesn't want them to know that this is really making her sad. Yeah, I read Hermione as very practical. I mean, she's she has a low tolerance for nonsense. And I could see yeah. her seeing this as nonsense and therefore not not even thinking about what the public implications might be for her. She just knows it's a pile of rubbish, as she says. And so it's not important to her because she's so practical, <laughs> because it's so obviously false. Mm. The thing you said about Harry, though, I think is really wise. I mean, it's interesting that we, you know, the, the theme this week is legacy and we haven't brought up Harry yet. I mean, Harry is a legacy before mm. he even realizes he is like he was the boy who lived before he even realized what happened to his parents. His story, the story of what his life means, has been public knowledge for the whole wizarding world from before he was even rationally conscious, <laughs> right? And you're right, like he he has dropped into that and everyone else knows what his life means before he knows what his life means. And that's true actually all through these books until like the end of book seven, when he's like, oh, this is what my life means. Yeah. And then he has a chance to choose for himself what his life will mean. It's interesting that, yeah, I mean, the, the question of legacy is also what Harry represents from his past and how much control he has over it. His lack of control over his own story is presented in a very frustrating and smaller way with Rita Skeeter telling his story in this book and in this chapter in ways that are not true and don't represent him how he wants to be represented. But you're right, Casper, like that has always been the case for him. Mm. His story, what his life means, has always been in others' hands. And he's always been trying to figure out how he's supposed to live into that and what his relationship to that story is going to be. Vanessa and Casper, this week our sacred reading practice is pardes, which is where we take a line and we're going to you know, examine it and reflect upon it in four steps that come out of the Jewish scriptural interpretation tradition. I have a line that I've selected at random from the chapter. Shall I read it? Please. Yeah. Okay. The line is, he was still grinning, but seeing the anxiety in Harry's face said more seriously, I want to be on the spot. Hmm. So the first step of Pardes is Bashat, which is where we reflect upon the intended meaning of the line. There's some British lingo in here, Casper. I wonder if you want to help us tackle the intended meaning of this line. <laughs> I mean, we should also just do some setup, who's talking, what's going on. But you're on the spot. If I'm right, this is serious as he, you know, he's telling a story. He's regaling the trio with, you know, his, his adventures. And they're pretty worried about the fact that he's there. Yes. And so... Sirius is kind of still taking it in a sort of jocular way. And then he looks at Harry and he sees how worried he is, how much he cares, how scared he is. And then says more seriously, like, I want to be on the spot. Like, I want to be here in case something goes wrong. Because, you know, the previous two challenges have gone so haywire for Harry. And so there's suddenly this kind of protective element that comes into this moment where the tricky thing for Sirius is he realizes like, hang on, I'm supposed to be the adult. I'm supposed to be the one who knows what to do and to take this seriously. And I've been making jokes and now he's taking care of me. Let me reverse that and bring it back to how it should be and say, no, I want to be here to protect you. He was also minimizing it, right? He was like, no, I'm loving being a stray. 
And then he's yeah. like, oh, mm. you are not enjoying that I am minimizing this, right? Like, okay, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yes, sir, right? He, yeah, I think does that flip to adult. So there's a sentence that comes after this, which I think helps fill out this meaning. He says, I want to be on the spot. And then he says, your last letter, dot, dot, dot. Well, let's just say things are getting fishier. Mm. So he's doing the same, the same mm. dynamic in that sentence where he's saying, okay, I'm more concerned now having learned what's happened than mm-hmm. I was before. But also I'm going to soft pedal that concern a little bit because I don't want to freak you out too much. Let's just say it's getting fishier. So we, the same thing, like I'm trying to be lighthearted so I, so I don't make you panic, but also I'm here because I'm worried there's something going on. I think one of the intended meanings of this sentence is like how hard it is to be an adult with a kid in a complicated world. Yeah. Ha <laughs> global warming is real. You'll be fine. I mean, maybe not, but kind of go to sleep. But recycle, <laughs> right? Like, I, I, this is really hard parenting. This is, you know, Sirius is stepping into Godfather late in this. Yeah. And also, this is high level of difficulty Godfathering. Yeah. And so he's struggling through it. But I don't know what the better way is. So the second step of Pardis is remez. And in remez, we select a word from the sentence and we try to think about where that shows up elsewhere in the book or in the series. So, Casper, since you are the guest. Yes, I want to spend time with the word face. And I don't know why I'm immediately going to book one, but this sense of like Voldemort's facelessness and this... It's literally on the back of Quirrell's head. It's hidden. So like this idea of being two-faced and thinking of like, this is going beyond the books now, but like the faceless men and the fact that Rita Skeeta is like unseeable. Like there's so much in like the lack of a face that's frightening, but then also an actual face that's that's not real. I'm thinking about the Crouch's escape, the way in which there's this fake burial mm-hmm. or the switched identities in the burial, like faces as being untrustworthy is what I'm getting in this reading. Interesting. There's a lot of face commentary, if I remember correctly, in this chapter. You know, like Harry gets red in the face at just the thought of Rita Skeeter. Mm. Hermione doesn't, Mm. but then she blushes when Ron is like, wait, what? Crumb invited you to Bulgaria? And she's like, uh, yes. Right, so there's a lot of like red in the face. When Snape reads it, she gets redder and redder, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so... Yeah, what you can read about someone in their face is really interesting, too. And that's true in this sentence, right? It starts with with Sirius grinning, mm. and then he sees yeah. the anxiety in Harry's face and then changes his own kind of affect, his own facial expression to convey to Harry, okay, I understand your anxiety, and I'm going to be serious now, too. Just as a tool of communication, like all these expressions are so important, and hiding one's face can be used and utilized towards meaningful ends since the face on its own is so meaningful. The final piece in this puzzle that I'll I'll just offer is that Crouch as Mad-Eye Moody, of course, has this eye, this roaming mm-hmm. eye that can see in all sorts of places and through his head. And it just strikes me that that eye is so powerful because it sees through things, but it actually may end up missing what is on people's faces. Mm-hmm. Like how these tools that are supposed to like penetrate space end up missing the things that are right in front of them. I don't know if there's something that Crouch misses on someone's face, but like, it's just interesting that this super powerful kind of magical tool can actually miss the things that are right in front of it, right? People's faces. Yeah. 
So the third step of Pardes is drosh, and this is where we talk about the sermon we would preach on this text. So I'll read the text one more time. He was still grinning, but seeing the anxiety in Harry's face said more seriously, I want to be on the spot. I mean, I think I would preach on I want to be on the spot. It is just so beautiful. I'm showing up with my body, right? I'm going to literally stand with you. Sirius isn't like, and this is what I'm going to do. He's actually not doing anything. And yet he's showing Mm. up. And sometimes that's enough. And I think we often, especially I think in America, have this sense of like, well, if I'm not going to be productive and helpful, why would I show up? But sometimes it's just showing up. It matters. Mm. Do you think... because I'm I'm wondering if this is a sermon I would preach. Does his presence increase the danger for anybody? I mean, mm. Apart from himself? Yeah. There's this moment in the chapter where, you know, Snape threatens to use Veritaserum on Harry. And the first thing he thinks is like, one of the first things Harry thinks is like, oh, they're yeah. going to find out I know about Sirius Black and where he is. And he thinks about that primarily as a danger, I think as a danger to Sirius, but... Is it also a danger to him and to his friends? I think it is, and that it would be true whether or not Sirius comes to Hogsmeade. I like your sermon, Vanessa. I think I would probably preach a similar sermon. I wonder, sometimes Sirius, I'm not sure he's thinking through the risks of his own actions. And I can't think of a risk to his action now, so this might be a bad sermon, right? But but is there one? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember being in div school and I don't remember which tragedy happened, but some tragedy happened, some superstorm. And one of my fellow divinity school students was like, maybe I should just go. And I had this profound feeling of like, and what? Get in the way? Like, do what? You're not even a real minister yet. Like they need yeah. doctors, right? Like they need like you would just be eating their food. Right. And so I think I need a caveat to it of like, and sometimes don't yeah. show up. It's about you and not them. So I I feel like we should co-preach that sermon. Okay. Sounds good. Casper, do you have a better sermon than mine? <laughs> you know, the thing that I'm sitting with is this idea of still grinning. Hmm. Like it I think it reveals, I don't want to say the self-centeredness, but just like Sirius is enjoying this moment. Hmm. And I think his like self-satisfaction is kind of rudely pulled out because he sees Harry's face, but like he's not seeing Ron's face. He's not seeing Hermione's face. Like I I guess I'd want to say something about not the dangers of pleasure, but of overstayed self-satisfaction, right? Like, okay, have the moment, but like, don't get stuck there at the expense of noticing what's happening around you. That's a very un-Caspery sermon, (laughs) because I'm all about embracing the joy. But I think the word still, still is the thing that's, that's, that's intriguing me for potential sermonizing. The persistence, yeah. The final step of Pardes is the sod, which could be the secret. I like thinking of it in the way that Vanessa recently described it to me, which is shaking something loose, what has been shaken loose by this line for us. So I'll read it one more time. He was still grinning, but seeing the anxiety in Harry's face said more seriously, I want to be on the spot. I mean, the secret for me, or the thing that was shaken loose, is he doesn't think it's the best strategy. He just wants it. Yeah. I think I got that from Casper's sermon, actually. Mm-hmm. There is like a fundamental selfishness in this statement. I mean, I think that he's glad to see the kids just because he hasn't seen people, 
right? He hasn't seen anybody yeah. forever. Part of that's that joy. But also, I think he loves coming in, you know, sneaking in as a black dog and being undercover, as you were saying earlier, Casper. Boy, all my secrets are coming from you today, Casper. Like, that I want to be on the spot. He wants to be in the mix. And it's not just because it's his godson that he wants to defend. It's also because he's trying to undo the legacy of his family. It's also because he thinks that he is more qualified than anybody else in the world to do it. It's also all these other things. I think there is that kind of central self kind of um, confidence, overconfidence maybe, which makes him want to be right there all the time. I think the sode for me is, oh, I feel very dangerously skirting with wrong analysis here. But like, if Sirius was to die, the way he dies is the way he'd want to go. Hmm. Like, this is not someone who would want to grow old in the Black family mansion. Hmm. Like, if we are to die doing what we love, like protecting this child who is the legacy that he chooses. I don't want to over-romanticize yep. it, but there's something, I think that's the so that I'm seeing is like, he chooses this. He, cho- I guess that's what it is. Like he's choosing this path, come hell or high water, and hell and high water do come. Yeah. But he, he is confident in his choice. Yeah. Well, thanks, Casper and Vanessa, for a great parties this week. Thank you. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. (laughs) Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This week's voicemail is from an anonymous listener, and they will be discussing sexual assault, and we will be responding to that. So if you feel as though you need to skip that, please take care of yourself and skip forward about four minutes. Hi, Matt, Vanessa, and the Sacred Text team. Um, I am sending this voicemail as a blessing to Harry in the aftermath of the second Triwizard Tournament task. Um, I'm currently a college student, and I'm also a survivor of sexual assault. And a lot of the work that I do on campus is around educating people about what it's like to be a survivor and how to help your friends who may be going through a similar thing. And what really struck me about this chapter is the aftermath of the response to Harry. Everybody says, 
um, particularly his friends, that he shouldn't have waited down there for so long to collect the extra people, Hermione, Cho Chang, um, Fleur's little sister. And he responds with, you weren't down there. You don't know what it was like down there. You don't know how scary it was to see everybody like that. Um, And even after he's awarded points for his bravery and for staying down there in a moment when he thought things were worse, um, people still kind of tell him that he has a savior complex. And this really struck me as a way that survivors are um, talked to after an assault, as in you should have done X, you should have done Y. Um, Why did you react like that? Um, And a lot of what I focus on is the way that trauma isn't logical to a lot of people. Um, And we see this throughout the books that Harry has a certain response to things and afterwards people question why he's so intent on following Draco around the castle and why he's so intent on the fact that he needs to find um, the... uh, you know, the hallows and everything like that. Um, And so this is just really a blessing for Harry and also for survivors whose responses to things are questioned. Um, But you know that when you're in that moment, you're the only one who really understands what's going on. Thank you guys so much for your work. um, And I look forward to hearing the next chapter. Thank you so much for that beautiful voicemail. I feel like a reminder of Harry's trauma is always so important. We, I think we talk about book five as the the PTSD book, but he is already in it for all number of reasons. And so thank you so much for that really important reminder and just that trauma response isn't logical. Fear response isn't logical. I have a kid who's very afraid of flying and having a serious moment with her where I'm like, you're more likely to die in the car on the way to the airport than you are on the airplane. It's like not helpful, right? So yeah, I just really appreciate you reminding us to have this compassion for people and to know that we can't understand other people's experiences ever as much as we try and would want to. Thank you so much for this voicemail and for really calling attention to that. I mean, that troubled me when we read it about Harry in that chapter, but your description of how it might analogously describe the experience of surviving troubled me more. And I'm just really thankful for your work where you are and for the advocacy that you do and for your survival. So thank you for your, thank you for your voice memo. Now's the time in the episode when we remember those in our community who have been loved and lost. Shirley Sachs Kirby, 61, a mother, teacher, friend, the ultimate drama mama, and so missed. Phil, 66, a good father who was patient and loved. Tom Volk, 63, a mycologist, blue star, and friend. Joel Tuches, 70, father, confidant, provider, defender, who was courageous. Bill Lucas, 87, a gentle soul, antiquer, and a great storyteller. Hannah Leah Hevrin, 20, our listener's only sister, a lover of Winnie the Pooh, end of reading. 
Let light perpetual shine upon all of them. It's now time for us to bless characters from the chapter. I'm going to go first, guys. I'm just claiming it. I'd like to offer a blessing for our wonderful Harry Potter. I so rarely bless him, our beautiful boy. And just, I imagine, I really, for some reason, had this like visceral feeling of walking into my chemistry class, finding out that a hit piece about my social life has been written about me. And then the teacher singling me out and threatening to put Veritaserum to like poison me. And then feeling like I have no recourse. <laughs> Just like, this is, yep, this is the world I live in. I wish he felt empowered to go talk to McGonagall about this. This is wild that Snape is allowed to do this, that Rita is allowed to do this. Harry obviously does not feel as though adults will ever be on his side. This is a really bad chemistry lesson. It would ruin my year. And Harry's just like, okay, on to the next. Matt, who do you want to bless? Well, mine is very closely related. I'm glad you came to me next. I want to bless Hermione for similar reasons. Uh, Because, well, first of all, just the way she just kind of casts it off so easily, like rubbish and throws it away. It's like the only response that can completely disarm the Slytherins who who are teasing her. Where like she's absolutely and genuinely, at least on my reading, maybe Catherine, you have a different reading because I suggested you might, but on my reading, just like, just doesn't care. And and so that's part of the blessing, but I also just, it seems like there's such a distance that Hermione has traveled from first year Hermione, who when being teased by Harry and Ron, which is different, right? But when being teased was so deeply wounded by it and understandably wounded, right? And in this moment, there was part of me coming up to it where I thought that, you know, you think that she's going to react and be outraged or angry or upset. And instead, she's just like indifferent. I loved it. Blessings to Hermione. Casper, who are you blessing? Listen, forget Hermione. Focus on the real story here. The owls. Yes. And I know this is an in-podcast joke, but these animals are working day in, day out, no weekend, and flying through wind so intense that they're delayed because they are literally blown off course. Thank God they are quietly quitting. As soon as one delivers a letter, (laughs) it leaves to avoid being sent out again. Like this is a labor violation if ever I heard one. I just want to bless the owls and anyone who's working in really horrible conditions that they shouldn't have to be in. So like, yeah, bless the owls. Amen. Next week, we'll be reading book four, chapter 28, The Madness of Mr. Crouch, through the theme of silence. You have been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. A few announcements before we give our thanks. Our most important one is check out The Nearness. They have a new journey available now, and you can find out more at thenearness.coop. And of course, summer camp is coming up. You can find out more about that at notsorryworks.com. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our engineer is Malika Gumpankam. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Evan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks this week to our anonymous voicemailer, to Laura Glass, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehat, Courtney Brown, Casper Turkile, 
Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of those they have loved and lost this week. Through the theme of silence. We'll have a full episode of us not talking about the chapter. (laughs) Yeah, my story is going to be three minutes of dead air.